Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Ashley Angelus. She uses the pronouns she, her, hers. Ashley defines herself as a Swiss army knife of skills. She's gone from cosmetologist to entrepreneur. And I got to tell you, she looks glamorous right now when we're not even using the video. On her journey, she's collected numerous degrees, certifications, and experiences, and she ignored the entrepreneurial itch for a really long time. Then something happened. Ashley lost her first child and underwent a traumatic birth experience. She transformed into a NICU mother who battled severe postpartum depression and anxiety. Eventually, Ashley found beauty in the breakdown, straightened her crown, and went all in to entrepreneurship on maternity leave. So she kicked the title of Ashley Angelus, MCA, CPLC, and Certified Behaviorist, and embraced her passion, which was to help others thrive. Ashley helps moms gain confidence, clarity, and strategy in their business through mindset shifts. She is your go-to woman to fill the gap between motherhood and entrepreneurship, helping you dig deep into the self-development and business foundations you need to be a CEO mom. And she will help you bring your ideas into action. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So excited to be here. So what happened? So you want to know about my transition to entrepreneurship? Or would you like to know about the experience I had after my son? Uh, can we start with the, the well, let's, let's, go, let's go backwards first. So you said you ignored the entrepreneurial itch for uh, a long time. So when do you think you first felt that itch? In high school. That was really clear. You didn't even like pause for that. You maybe sort of blinked your eyes and that was it. So <laughs> what was happening like in that scene where you're like, okay, you're in high school. What was going on? I was the high school student with the IEP learning disability. Like I was constantly being labeled all the time, but I was always going like against the grain. Like if you told me something, I was questioning it, always questioning it, analyzing it, questioning it. And I always used to make people very uncomfortable (laughs) because people would just be like, this is the way it is. And this is the answer. But I, I was always so interested in why is that the answer? I was always told like, you're not cut out for college. You're not cut out. Like, what do you want to do with your life? And, you know, pick, pick something you want to do in, you know, when you're in 11th grade and I'm like, okay, I'll be a cosmetologist. Um, creative about people making people feel great. Um, this is something that I'll do. Um, I have people in my family who are cosmetologists. So I was like, I'll go do that. I'll go to trade school. So I actually went to trade school while I was in high school. And I came out of high school as a licensed cosmetologist in the state of New Jersey on graduation day. So I, I was like, oh, I'll just go be an entrepreneur I'll own my own salon. I'll, I'll do the, all those things. So I started doing hair at the age of like 15. And many people would turn me away when they would be sent over to my chair because they're like, you're not even old enough to drive. You're not cutting my hair. I, I just knew I had it in me to like just do something more. Like I never wanted to like be within like a confined mold or job description or title. Like I just, I just felt like I never fit if that makes sense. But you did take the nine to five job and you got a whole layer of cool titles. Uh, so, so even though in your gut you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you took the sort of traditional route. So what happened there? I would have to say, like, just like the stigma that was attached to me, like, I, I really 
I just went with with what was comfortable, what was normal, what I was taught, like go after the title, go after the figures, you know, work your way up, put the work in, do the hard work. You need to go to college. You need to get an education. You need to do all of those things. And, you know, some of those things are things that uh, my mother and father didn't do. I am a first-generation college student. So I guess I found a place within there where I was like, you know, like if they didn't do it, maybe I should do it. I just got to the point where I just kept on signing myself up for <laughs> I just kept going and going. And honestly, I kept going throughout the like higher education journey because every time I went to give up, there was like a breakdown that happened. Um, so when I got done my undergrad for my associate's degree, um, my boyfriend of like seven years broke up with me. I found out that he was cheating on me. And on graduation day, I found out that my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep on go doing it. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go get my bachelor's. I'm going to make her proud. And then I found out on that graduation day that my dad was diagnosed with kidney cancer. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to go do it. Um, and it was just like little things like that where I was just like, you know, like I'm going to do this. And I was always doing something for somebody else. Like I was not doing it for me. I can't, I have to say now, like with those experiences and the people that I've met and the mentors that I met throughout that process and those experiences, I would never be who I am today or where I am today. Um, because I have one mentor who is extremely influential in the change of my mindset and the way that I show up and how I speak to people and do the things that I do. So, uh, yeah, that that's pretty much the long answer. <laughs> so you ended up with a uh, certified behaviorist. And so you, you started by saying that you had all the labels when you were in high school. And so it looks to me like part of your education was almost to make you an expert of those labels. Yeah. I, yeah. I never actually looked at it that way, but yeah, I used to go into homes and help families with behavioral plans on how to help their children navigate um, the education system and, you know, uh, advocate for their children and, you know, get the services and supports that they need, which is what my mom did for me. But until this day, I'm like, I don't really think like on paper, like I don't, I don't think that I have a disability. Like I, it doesn't, it doesn't phase me. Like I don't want, I never wanted to be labeled. And it's something I told my mom all the time. Like, I don't want to be labeled. Like I don't want, I don't want to carry that with me because even on the sign in sheets, like in high school or middle school, like my name was always in all caps. And you knew like the kids on the sign in sheet who were like in all caps are the ones that had like the in class support teacher. And they were the kids with the IEPs. And like, I, that's, I, I still remember that to this day. And I always told my mom, like, can we just get rid of this IEP thing? Like, I don't need it. And even when the supports were there for me to use, I never used them. Oh, fascinating. I think what happens a lot in kids, this is so normal of, you know, that middle school and then into high school is you just want to sort of part of you maybe wants to stand out and be unique and be in your own sovereignty, but part of you just wants to be normal and blend in. And that's fascinating that the folks that had the IEPs were singled out in that way, even though the administrator, whoever came up with that idea, didn't probably consider that it was so obvious. 
yeah, I, I, I mean, I was in eighth grade, like this is obviously obvious. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was definitely one thing that I was like, I just wanted to rip up a piece of paper every time and be like, I'm here. Like, you know, I'm here. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my gosh. A lot of times I've been talking to people about big T trauma and little T trauma. And that to me, so like that repeated thing, it wasn't like a car accident, right? It was a piece of paper screaming at you every day, but every day you would go in and it potentially it could trigger shame you're different, you're not normal, you need extra support. That is a lot of buildup of little T trauma over years, I would imagine. Yeah, it definitely was. It certainly was. And even it carried through college, like there was, you know, multiple aspects of college where I was like, I can't do this because I can't do this because and like just bringing those beliefs back into my head like I couldn't do it I graduated with like a, a 3.9 <laughs> you know <laughs> I did not graduate with a 3.9 when I went to college <laughs> um but you know like it was just like well why don't I have the 4.0 like I was very hard on myself I um I guess I just always wanted to just like keep on like chiseling and breaking down that stigma that was attached to me and then it carried on over into like the succumbing to the ninth five like I would look at my resume and I was like in and out of jobs like every two years like uh-huh. once I was in a job for a year I got to that point where I was like mm, mastered it what's next on to the next like tell me what's next and they were like no like this is this is what it is like this is what <laughs> you know like this is your job description this is what you do year after year until you tell us that you don't want to be here anymore I'm like well then I don't want to be here anymore <laughs> so you were getting bored yeah super bored mm-hmm so then you met the man of your dreams and then you guys uh, started to have a family. Yes. Yeah. And then the unthinkable happened. Yes. Can you walk us through whatever you're comfortable? Sure. Absolutely. So my husband is an amazing man. He is my best friend. We are a great team. I have a beautiful marriage. I have a beautiful two and a half year old son. Um, but when I first met my husband, Mind you, I just got out of like a seven-year relationship. I got extremely burnt. Uh, there was no explanation or anything. Um, I have come to the realization that I was being cheated on. It was never actually um, admitted, I guess you would say. It was never admitted. But um, I met him and I said to him, you know what? You're the one and I know you're the one. I'm just not ready. So he chased me like he kept on chasing me. And it was like this long time where like we would hang out and then he would drop roses on my doorstep and I'd be like, wait a minute. Um, no, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think I like how this feels. And mind you, both of my parents were sick with cancer at the same time. I was just getting into grad school. Like it was like a whirlwind of everything going on. I was, I'm going through a traumatic, you know, experience of breaking up with somebody after almost, you know, a decade. <laughs> Um, so I said to him one day, I was like, I know you're the one, but I'm going to come back when I'm ready. And if you're still here, like you're going to be mine. Well, we are almost like five years married. We've been together for almost 10 years. Like he's an absolutely amazing guy. But when I first met him, I had to have a difficult conversation of, I was told I possibly would never be a mom because I was battling, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. This is something women go through all the time. And I was 
I had a pituitary tumor that, um, you know, I was being watched for. And I just, I just found that out at the time too. Like I had an MRI and I was finding all these things out. It was very dramatic, dramatic, um, time in my life. And I had to have the difficult conversation of like, Hey, like, do you, I, I love you and I want to be with you. But I mean, if you want to be a father, I don't know if I can give that to you. So that was a very difficult conversation to navigate. But he's like, no, if not, we'll adapt. We'll be parents. Like we'll have a beautiful life. He was super accepting to everything. So fast forward, we get married, have an amazing uh, wedding. And I quickly get pregnant with my first. So it was a huge surprise. I was actually supposed to go to Hawaii with my husband and my mother-in-law while I'm going to Hawaii with him because I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> um, and I miscarried at 12 weeks. So that was like my miracle baby. That was this is your gift of being a mother. And, um, I lost the baby at 12 weeks. I had to get surgery, had to do, you know, whole gamut. And I had one doctor say to me, Ashley, I want you to go home, take care of yourself, do what you need to do. Like, I want you to recover from this. I had another doctor say to me, Hey, Ashley, you're extremely fertile right now. So you make the choice. So I, I did take three months off of work to, like, I, I was, I was a mess, an absolute mess. Um, but my husband and I decided that we would let fate be fate. And we, I went back to work after three months pregnant again with my son. And he is my little Nikki baby. He was born three pounds, five ounces. And I went through a traumatic birth experience with him and I quickly became a NICU mom. So I drove myself to the ER because I was having these back pains. I'm thinking, oh, it's just a foot, an elbow. I don't know what's going on. Call my husband. He's coming home from a job interview. Like he's about to tell me like I got the job, this, that, and the other. I'm like, no, I think I'm in labor. I'm calling my best friend. I'm like, hey, Meg, uh, you told me I would know when I'm in labor, but uh, I don't think this is labor, but this is something. So I drive myself to the ER, I get to the ER, and they're like, um, you're either going to be here for the rest of your pregnancy or you're having the baby this weekend. And I was like, well, what is wrong with me? They're like, your blood pressure is through the roof. Like it was like 150 over, like it was insane, insanely high. So were you going through preeclampsia? Yeah. So every appointment that I went through, like my blood pressure was always perfect. I had a beautiful pregnancy. Like I felt amazing pregnant. I was sick all the time, but I felt amazing. So morning sickness. Yeah. Like I was sick until like 20 something weeks. Uh, but I, I, I felt great. I felt amazing. And we get to the point where they're taking my blood pressure. Everything was like so fast. So they, they're like, you know, tomorrow we're going to keep you overnight. You're going to have an ultrasound of the baby. We're going to monitor the baby, this, that, and the other. And everything went so quick from there. Um, I actually had help syndrome. Um, it's actually like the elevated level. Like if I can explain it in layman's terms, it's like the upper level of preeclampsia. <laughs> um, so the pain that I was feeling was my liver. <laughs> it was liver pain. Um, and that, that was going on for like a week, like on and off, on and off. Um, I had, I wasn't swollen. I had, I had no signs of preeclampsia. Like it came out of nowhere and that's what they say it does. It comes out of nowhere. So long story short, we go down for the ultrasound. And mind you, when I lost my first, I was locked in a room by myself. They would not let my husband back for like an hour before they told me that like my baby went to be with God. And 
<laughs> so I'm locked in this room again for an ultrasound and my husband and I, like, they have the big screen in front of us and they're doing the ultrasound and I'm, I'm 36 weeks. Some things are measuring 36 weeks. Some things are measuring 28 weeks. Some things are measuring 32 weeks. Like I'm just like, what is happening? What is wrong with my baby? Like I'm asking all these questions. And as you know, like a technician cannot answer any questions. So she's like, I'm just letting you know, like we squeeze you in. We're very overloaded, this, that, and the other. So we wait an hour and 15 minutes in this room. And I'm like, my blood pressure is already through the roof. And I'm like, they're never going to get it back down ever. They're never going to get my blood pressure back down. So we wait an hour and 15 minutes. The doctor comes in in his little dapper suit. Till this day, I, I wish I remember the doctor's name. I wish I would have given him a hug. I wish I would have done something because the way that he delivered this information was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful he was just like, you're having this baby right now. And I'm like, okay, like you're going to induce me. And he's like, no, you're having this baby like right now, like right this second. Um, he was like, you're going emergency C-section upstairs. Come down with a wheelchair. I'm hysterically crying. I'm like, what's wrong with my baby? Nobody even answered that question yet. Um, he's like, the only way that we can cure this is to get the baby out of you. So like, we need to take care of you and baby. I get upstairs and my nurse is running at me and she's like, I just got the phone call. I just got the phone call. I'm coming. I just got the phone call. She's like, calm down. I'm like, stop telling me to calm down. <laughs> so I get into my room and Michelle, I, I can't make this up. It literally was like a movie. There was like 15 people just like in like a rainbow around my bed. I'm this person. I'm that person. I'm this person. I'm that person. I'm this person. I'm that person. I'm, they're just hanging bags from me, shoving things down my throat, like changing me. Like I, I don't even know what was happening. Mind you, my parents don't even know I'm in the hospital yet. <laughs> so my husband's calling his parents like, baby's coming right now. Baby's coming right now. Call my, call my parents. And I'm just going through all this. And then this guy, he hands me his paper and he's like, blood transfusion. I need you to sign this. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like I, I didn't even get a chance to like think about any of these things. My bag wasn't even packed for the hospital. Um, so I look at my husband. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about a blood transfusion. Like it's not never something that I've actually like thought through or thought about. Like I, I'm a thinker. And he looks at me and he goes, sign the F in paper. <laughs> He's like, sign it right now. If you don't, I will. Um, so from there, um, the nurse is like, here, this is anti-nausea. Here's some more medicine, this, that, and the other. Throw up all over myself. Um, and as they're wheeling me out of my room, our parents are walking up the hallway. Like, it was perfect timing. It was perfect timing. Um, so from there, um, I, I, I don't know how explicit I can get. Do you want me to get explicit? Like, uh, I'll mark it as explicit on the podcast, and so that's fine. Yeah. But first, let's take a break. Are you tired of moving month to month without any flow? Are you ready to get more in alignment with the world around you and your purpose? I believe we are all here together. And when I mean we, I mean all of us. From those who know their purpose and are connected to their environment to those who are just learning to be connected and what their purpose may be. I am here to hold space for us to learn together, to mastermind together, to make magic together. So I'm hosting new and full moon circles every month. We'll circle up about three days before the new moon and just before or on the full moon. Together, in circle, on Zoom, we'll get grounded, we'll journal, we'll explore, and we'll mastermind together metaphysical and natural supports to keep us in alignment. Want to learn more? Visit www.michellelastly.com slash moon circles. 
Space is limited, so be sure to grab your seat today. Welcome back. So I'll, I'll keep it simple. The nurse looks at me and she goes, um, are you prepped? And I was like, no, I'm not prepped. <laughs> like I, I, I'm not prepped at all. Like that, like I didn't get my pedicure. I didn't get to do any of the things to do. Like, you know, um, so they're wheeling me down the hallway, prepping me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they're wheeling me down the hallway, literally like just prepping me. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. So th- that was, that was actually a fun little laugh. So we get to the, we get to the OR, um, long story short, it was very scary. My, my blood pressure would not go down. They could, they could not cut me open. Like the anesthesiologist is like, my husband's not with me because he wasn't allowed to be in yet. Um, yeah. The anesthesiologist is just like, you need to calm down. I'm like, you keep telling me to calm down. I'm not able to calm down. So my doctor literally comes in and she bear hugs me and like shoves me in her chest. And she's just like rubbing my back as they're giving me a spinal. And she's like, honey, like we need to get this baby out. Like we need to, we need to get them out. So they, I don't know what it was, but I hear the anesthesiologist say, like, I don't care. I need my supervisor. Supervisor comes in. She goes, I don't care if she's allergic to it. Push it. Whatever they gave me was like magic. I don't, don't know what it was. Um, so my, my husband finally comes in. My beautiful son comes into the world screaming. Thank God. Um, three pounds, five ounces. They scoop my husband and my, my, um, my son up to the NICU they do all the little things that they need to do. And they give his, his um, birth like certificate. And like when they do the feet, like when they stamp their feet, they're rainbows because he's a rainbow baby. <laughs> so I absolutely love that. Um, so he was doing really well. He did not need any breathing support. Like he is my little champ made of armor and steel. I say to this day, I have a tattoo to my arm. It says armor and steel right here. Mm. Um, and for like three or four days I was on magnesium and that was so I didn't have a blood, like a a stroke or, you know, a heart attack or anything like that. And if I would not wish it on my worst enemy, not that I have any enemies, but, um, I felt like Gumby, (laughs) like I was just hanging over the bed rails for like four days. So I didn't meet my son for four days. Um, coherently, like I, I wasn't allowed out of my bed or anything like that. My, mom and my mother-in-law actually met my son before I did because he was in NICU and you are strapped to things in your own room trying to get healthy. Yeah. And there was no wheeling the big NICU crib container thing that he was in. It's just not feasible in our world. Nope. Nothing. And like, I missed out on like the skin, the skin, the, you know, breastfeeding and, um, they were trying to get me to pump and I'm like, ah, I can't even see straight. They had ice packs like all over me. Like it was, uh, magnesium is definitely different for everybody, but it was, it was brutal on me. Like they had like three or four bags like hung from me at a time. Um, and I remember the nurse is like, you're coming off of it tomorrow at one o'clock. And I was, sta- I was sitting in the chair, staring at the clock going, counting down the minutes, literally counting down the minutes. And it's like, I don't know. Tw- it was like 1238. I'm like, Oh my God, we're almost there. They almost get off of it. She comes back in with another bag. She's like, I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm sorry. Like, it's just your blood pressure is not where we need it to be yet. And I'm like, Oh, so usually with preeclampsia, my understanding is that as soon as you deliver baby, the blood pressure writes itself and then your, your body starts to go back to normal. And it sounds like that is not what was happening with you. 
No, and that's why I, um, I think they considered it help syndrome because it was my liver levels too. Like my liver levels, it was like all like the organ levels too. Um, so yeah, it took like <laughs> three or four days. I was in the hospital for 10 days. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But my, so my son spent 57 days in the NICU. I went back and forth every single day. The first two weeks were the hardest because my husband was still working mm-hmm. and I needed rides <laughs> back right. and forth because you had a C-section. You were not allowed to drive for, I think it's six weeks. Yeah. I just hitched rides from whoever I could hitch rides from. I was pumping nonstop um, at home just as if I was, were feeding my son and I never really got to heal. Like I never got to, I was just like, I remember walking the, the, um, the halls of the hospital and I'm just like, Oh, this really hurts. Like I probably shouldn't be walking right now. Thank goodness. My son was only three pounds. I could actually hold him, but it was, it was a trying time. So long story short, spent 57 days in the NICU. He came home on a feeding tube. He was on a feeding tube until he was nine months old. He um, got a G tube placed in April. He was born in December and thankfully my intuition kicked in and every time we took him to therapies and stuff like that, I would say, that just, it just doesn't feel right. Like it doesn't feel right. Like I just don't, not that I didn't believe the doctors, but like my motherly instinct and my intuition told me he's not on this tube because it's medically necessary. Like he's on this tube because it's behavioral and <laughs> hello <laughs> back to the behavioralist in me. Um, I was walking on the doctor's office one day and the doctor said, Ashley, just make sure they're not overfeeding him because sometimes they tend to do that because they just want to plump up the preemies. And I was like, but he's being overfed. We're feeding him too much. That's why he keeps throwing up. That's why he's on all these, uh, these um, anti-acid medications and Zantac and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, we're feeding him too much. That's why he doesn't want to eat because he would not eat out of a bottle at all. Um, so I jumped on the computer. I did my research. I found a book and, um, her, I read her book in like an hour once I got it through Amazon and we consulted with her and she consulted with us over zoom and she put together a, I don't know, 20 page plan to get my son and wean him off the tube. And that was my first like little taste of coaching. And she changed our lives. He was off the tube in four days. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So you have built up a lot of resilience skills in your lifetime, mm-hmm. watching your mother advocate for you, listening to your intuition and ignoring it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but acknowledging that it was there, right? Cause like sometimes we make these choices for whatever reason. And, uh, and now you find yourself in a space where all of that built resilience going through all of those little T and big T traumas has kind of come to a head and you still have the nine to five job, but now you have a recovering NICU baby who's you're trying to build up and you're trying to identify you're being his advocate in addition to dealing with your own healing. So then something broke and you said, I'm not going back to that job. Yeah. (laughs) So I wasn't uh, the happiest in that job. And like I said, like once I mastered a job, like I just was, I was bored and I was like, what, what more is there? So it was kind of a relief, like when I ran out of time and I I was also back on the bandwagon. I'm like, let me find a closer to home nine to five. Let me try to figure something else out. And 
um, having that conversation with my husband, I'm like, I know we're going through a lot, but do you think I could quit my job? <laughs> he was like, what, what, whoa. So my husband and I had like a, a heart to heart and he said, as long as you cover the mortgage, we got this. And he's like, I don't care what you do. Tap back into going out and doing hair. Like I, he's like, you're a Swiss army knife of skill. Like just go out and do whatever. I trust you. So I was like, okay, you trust me? Got it. So I went out and I got a part-time job and I did the in-home therapy and I started launching my business and haven't turned back. So you speak very specifically to mothers and helping them fill the space between. So your baby's still young. And one thing that I've noticed, so tell me if this resonates. One thing I've noticed about moms, and it doesn't matter how they came to be a mother, like, you know, by choice, like very, very carefully thought out plan choice to surprise, you're going to have a baby, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So any, any space in there, then all of a sudden baby comes and then you fall into caretaker mode, right? This is what we're supposed to do. And however the duties are shared or not shared um, within your household, but what happens, what I've observed happens to a lot of mothers is they sort of put their needs on the back burner and fall totally into the caretaker. So then you're submerged in feedings after feedings, prepping meals, changing the diapers, doing all of this, right? And what ends up happening is a forgetting of yourself, forgetting any of those inklings and those passions. So sometimes I've noticed this happens like, further along into the motherhood journey than where you are. Like, you know, it might use women will start to realize that they had forgotten themselves when they're starting to put their kids into kindergarten. And all of a sudden they can now have time to look, to go back to work or whatnot. So with the people that you've worked with, does that story resonate? It does, but I would say the women that I work with, they're more so like, Hey, like I'm stepping into this motherhood feel and they're looking for that support. Like I looked for the support, um, when I was in the NICU, like let me jump into Facebook groups full of NICU moms or feeding tube moms, or like, they're looking for that support system when it comes to jumping into motherhood and like what that professional identity or personal identity is going to look like after motherhood. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's like a 50, 50 mix where it's like, Hey, like I don't want to lose myself or it's like, Hey, I'm on the brink of losing myself and I need you to kind of pick me back up a little so bit. So a different level of awareness maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how do you help women keep in touch, keep aligned with their values? So the first way that I work with women, like one-on-one in my program, like I'm a life and business coach, but I always say like, I teach like, or I coach 85% like life stuff and like 25% business stuff, because like, I can give you the strategy. I can give you the formulas. I can give you all that stuff. But like, if you don't have the belief system behind you or the belief in yourself or that, you know, the growth mindset that you need in order to not butt up against a wall when like strategies meeting the belief, then you're not going to be like in that abundance that you need to be in. And you're not going to be able to like give and receive and give and receive and give and receive. Like if we're only giving and we're not receiving, then we're, we have a blockage there. Like there's no, there's no courage being shown. There's no, um, there's no outcome there. Like we're not tapping into that abundance. So I, I help them 
you know, create what they, what they want in their, in their, like through their lifestyle, what they want and kind of just like do the overhaul. Like, what are your values? What are your beliefs? Um, what is your personality type? Like, what's your communication style? How do you communicate? How do you set boundaries? <laughs> what does, you know, self-care look like to you? Like, let's create a routine. Let's talk about time management. We talk about all of those things for that foundational piece. Can we link back to your childhood a little bit? Sure. So even though you maybe didn't enjoy the process, you were told early on who you were. Yes. And whether you use those tools or not, these are tools that are going to help you manage so that you can be the best Ashley. We think you can be based on what we know at this this current time. So you kind of are doing this in a different way though. So instead of maybe labeling the mom you're working with, right, you're helping them come into their own sovereignty, probably in a path that they are choosing. Yes, absolutely. They can like wear the labels they want on their own terms. Yeah, for sure. And I I don't care if you come to me with a crazy idea, that sounds silly to somebody else, but if it aligns with you and you think that, you know, this is a problem that you can solve for somebody and they need the help in this area, let's do it. What values do you think you've landed on that guide you in serving in this way? I think just like being tr- like being true to to myself, like along that line of like staying true to myself, um, trusting myself. Right. So like you've shared a lot of examples of where you made choices to like walk the path of the experts, whatever expert, whether it was the doctor or the counselor or the teacher or whatever, but like saying, okay, here's my voice. I have my voice, but right now I am going to do this. Yeah. And, but now coming back into that, so taking all that, so like you kind of tried that hat on and it uh, maybe served itself for a time, even just as a lesson. Right. But what other values? Um, I really, I've tapped into like that confidence that I need, you know, the confidence that comes behind everything that we do. Like, we're going to make people uncomfortable. You know, like we need to have the confidence to be that person who speaks up, who brings out the fact that like there, there could be a problem here. Like let, let's communicate those things. So um, definitely, like you said, finding my voice, creating that confidence, that trust in myself, um, being a good uh, communication is key to me. Like I say it all the time. My clients hear me say it. I'm like, communication is key. Like let's communicate the best way we can. Like, how does this feel to you? Like, does this feel good? Yeah, I would say confidence is another big thing. That's awesome. We are very quickly running out of time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you have a very powerful story of people trying to support you in the best way they, they knew how but didn't always align with how you wanted things to do. And you've cracked open lots of places where in medical or school, we have the opportunity to change things, which is probably another conversation. So (laughs) given your work now and kind of holding that like that because this this happens all the time right where an expert comes in and says we know the right way what is one piece of advice you have for the burgeoning entrepreneur who wears multiple hats and that they could take away with them right now when they're they're kind of they're feeling stuck and not sure what the next step they should take is ask for help many of us are afraid to ask for help swallow your pride if you feel like somebody could help you, ask for help. You never know what is going to come out of an ask. 
I was on a coaching call last night with my coach and a group program and she had a guest expert on there and he made $225,000 in less than six months from couch surfing. He went from couch surfing to $225,000 in six months. And it is all based on his belief system and his mindset and where, and all the difference that he thought he could make in the world. And one of the members of the program said to him, well, you coach me for free because he was, he was, you know, teaching that mindset stuff. And like, he was telling us to ask, like, if you don't ask, like you have to put yourself out there. She asked him, he said, yep. So you never know what will come out of an ask. Oh, that's lovely. I would love to chat with you more, but like I said, we've run out of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today, Ashley, and sharing your story of courage and resilience and finding your voice. I am so grateful to have you here. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a great, a great chair. Thank you. Balance Shared is curated by me, Michelle Lassley. Ezra Meredith is our producer. The instrumental music Grass by Silent Partner is from the YouTube audio library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michellelasley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.